This is episode number 51 of the Abuse Talk podcast. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my pain into a purpose. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and believe that together we are louder. Each fortnight there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector and sharing it with all of you. We are also mixing it with survivor stories, those with lived experiences. We can learn from them and help raise the awareness of domestic abuse. In this episode, I speak to Samantha Mansi, who is actually one of our hashtag abuse talk tweeters. I'm so delighted that she has joined us on this podcast. We are actually going to be talking about her experiences of being in multiple abusive relationships, but also her steps to recovery. Before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to Rockpool. They're the main sponsor for Hashtag Abuse Talk and they deliver trauma-informed programmes around the UK. If you haven't checked out their self-help book, The Recovery Toolkit, it's available to buy on Amazon and you can check them out at rockpool.life. I also need to thank Susan Rahima and Katrina Hay for continuing to support me on the Hashtag Abuse Talk tier on my Patreon. You can check it out at patreon.com forward slash Jen L. Gilmore. Now let's get into that conversation with Samantha Mansi. Hello, Samantha. How are you doing? I'm okay. Thank you. Are you okay? Yes, I'm not bad. Again, I'm so delighted that you're joining us today. And um, before we get into your journey, can you let everybody know where in the world you are and a bit about you? I am in Swansea, Wales. That's so much behind me. You can see it. The beach, which is like two minutes away. Um, I do poetry, political poetry. I do pageants mainly. I'm looking to do more charity pageants. I'm training to be a dog groomer and I'm also doing my master's in creative writing year two, which I found out today is 30 hours a week. So basically next year, I'm just going to do my master's and all this other stuff will have to go through. Yeah. Masters <laughs> is important. Wow, it sounds like you've got a lot going on, but a very exciting time as well. So we're looking forward to following you on your journey um, with your masters. So good luck um, if I don't say it any sooner. (laughs) Um, So let's talk a bit about your journey. Now, I know you've been in a couple of relationships, so let's kind of focus on that first relationship can you share with us how you met um, that person and what it was like to enter that relationship? Well, I met, I met them through Facebook and one of my friends said, they're a bit strange. And I remember when I first went to see them, they had a microwave that they'd actually shot with an air gun, which was a red flag and I should have ran then. Um, and... They were quite, they were saying to me, it's the end of the world, you're going to lose your job anyway, because I wasn't happy. I worked on 999 Yorkshire Ambulance Service taking calls, and I was struggling because I didn't understand at the time I had fibromyalgia. So obviously, I worked 12 hours shifts. I come home, I sleep, mm-hmm. and then when I was off for two days, you have off, I, or three days, I just be asleep because it was just so 
mentally exhausting and then your body physically. Um, eventually, my sister helped me to leave him, or I left him eventually, first time, because he said it was the end of the world in 2017 and nothing happened. The economy didn't collapse or anything, so I thought, I'm going to go to my mum's. So I went to my mum's in Swansea. Then he came down to get me back, to get us back to Yorkshire with him. And that didn't happen, but we were in, in and out of hotels, in B&Bs. I only had one pair of clothes on. He didn't take me to buy any underwear or anything, which is abuse. You know, I could have gone to a second-hand shop or something. I just had the same clothes on. He was saying to me, my mum's evil, my mum's mom, my a witch, because she's a Buddhist. My family are witches, my family are all evil. Sort of gaslighting me. Um, he took me off my medication, so... I have a low mood disorder, so my anxiety was heightened and my paranoia was heightened because I think the medication keeps me sane. <laughs> and um, so then he left, he went to Yorkshire. He gave me all my stuff back. And then somehow he got me back to Yorkshire because my mum went away and left me alone. And then he's like, of course, people abuse it. Oh, that's the perfect time to get her back because she's got no people around her keeping her safe. Mm. And um, then it ended up eventually 2018, 2017 time. I went to refuge in Swansea, crossing it up there. Said it's the end of the world. And I remember getting on the train and passing Cardiff Stadium and seeing all the people with all these guns because it was after there'd been a terror attack in Manchester. They were saying they've got all these guns, they're going to round us up and put us in camp. And I was in basically fight off flight, like every day I didn't move. I go to my mum, think this guy here's my head was just a jumbled mess. Because when you're in fight or flight, you know, you can't, you know, you can't really think straight. Uh, so he harassed me at a refuge about 10 times, I'd say, more with my family. And eventually ended up in a Scottish Borders refuge, but he wrote a letter to the refuge and he said, You're my wife, you're, we're meant to be together, and all this. And the refuge staff opened it and they were like, What? And that's because he knew the refuge address. They said, you know, you're unsafe, and he was quite, you know, Mar on Marat because he's a high risk to me. And I said to him, I don't feel safe. And then they sent me to Wales. They were calling up all these refuges. Ended up um, in Carmarthen, ended up back in Swansea, and like, um, I got up, I got my own flat. Um, yeah, it was. It sounds. Know, he he coerced me out of refuge because he kept saying to me that. I was only safe with him. He could only protect me from the end of the world. The Brexit was going to cause an economic collapse. Every time I watched the news, he'd whisper to me, this means this, this means that. So I was really paranoid, really anxious, just to fight off like daily. And then um, once I got to the refuge, I got back to put on medication. I started feeling more normal. Yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like you've been pulled in every direction. Um, you've obviously been in that fight or flight. What I think is shocking in a way is that somebody could make another person believe that it is going to be the end of the world and that that can influence, you know, your you know, your choices as well. Um, and it kind you know, when you first said that, I was like, that is a, a big step up, isn't it? That's a quite a big step to take to believing that this is going to be the end of the world but when you actually put it into perspective and talked about you know Brexit and then the coincidence with the Manchester attack as well it does 
you know, you can see how you can be brought into that. So, you know, thank you for, for sharing that because I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that before. Now, obviously you were pulled in all those directions, but you did leave. However, you ended up in a second relationship, um, if I remember rightly. Um, so what I would like to do is obviously talk about that relationship and um, the red flags, if you noticed anything because of the first one, and sort of compare, really, the two situations, um, because obviously they were both of that domestic abusive behaviour. So tell us about the second relationship. Well, during lockdown, I thought I was a lesbian. I was going into a whole complex PTSD breakdown. So I was like, man, no, because of all the stuff that happened with my ex and other stuff. And I felt a woman couldn't hurt me, I thought. So I was on this local group. There was this girl kept doing these live videos, kept commenting. She actually, the red flag was already there, number one. She lived with her girlfriend still. They were living together. But she said, oh, we've broken up, we're not together. Um, she was full on. And she said to me one night, I, I want to hurt myself because I've gone on. Can you come and get, you know, basically. So I got really worried because I am domestic abuse. And she's telling me all this stuff, which is complete lies now. So I went and got her and the baby. And then she moved straight in with me. And straight away, the financial abuse started. She went across her child. So I was handed an 11-month-year-old baby. I've never had a baby myself. I was like, okay. So she would just be lazy, just on her phone all day. And, and obviously, I had my own physical, my own physical stuff. Um, and it was just after I had a massive PTSD breakdown and tried to go back to the first ex. Well, I didn't go. My... I went over the bridge to England and came back mm. because of the PTSD was in full force because of the empty shells, the empty yeah. shells the coronavirus. So, um, so she handed me a child. She financially abused me. She coerced control me to leave my flat. I remember thinking, oh, I'm not sure about leaving the flat. I really don't want to leave my home. And I had a really bad feeling about this. Like She's coerced controlling me. I don't want to leave. This is my home. Um, then... Um, when I moved to Amundsen, the abuse got worse. So I was isolated from my family and my friends, who were all responsive. And she had full kind of control over me then. And then she started making me clean all the time. She would go out all the time, leave me with the baby. I I was just, you know, I'd see my mum occasionally on once a week to do dog grooming. So saying, you shouldn't go see your mum to do dog grooming because, you know, she doesn't pay me that much money, but it's not really about money because my mum helped rescue me loads from the first partner. And um, then the red flag, she was kind of giving me red flags, and she was sort of talking to her ex and flirting with her in front of me, which was really rude. So I was like, I'm here, like, on the sofa. Okay. Um, the biggest red flag, so that was, she was already giving me lots of red flags, and I was isolated because I'm in this house with her now. I've lost my home. Um, then she dumped me on the operating table when I had a fist removal, which was right for the beginning of December. And I came back and I couldn't clean. She was meant to be looking after me. She said, Oh, yeah, I'll look after you. Went to her ex's party. She was 30, left me at home on myself. This is after I'm having an aesthetic. So obviously, you're feeling really out of it. And you just shove soup. You could go eat this. I didn't want to eat soup. You know, after an aesthetic, you want like a comfort food. Yeah. You know? And because I was in pain. 
And then she started saying to me, because I wasn't meant to do any housework for two weeks after lifting my arm here because it, it was unpleasant. It was benign anyway, but she started making me do all the housework. Then she started, um, the cats were indoor cats that time because they didn't have a garden. And she started saying, the cat litter smelling, you're not doing the cat lit when I was doing the cat lit every day. And she started targeting my cat. She'd already previously given me red flags when she shaved the cat and she didn't shave the whiskers off the cat. I said, you do not shave off the cat's whiskers because apparently it's painful for an animal to shave off the whiskers. It's like, I don't well, know. That's how they it. feel, like, isn't it? They think, like they, think they feel. Yeah, it's like the antenna, yeah, because they can't feel their body. I remember Jerry, it was, my cat was being really clumsy and falling all over the place. That, that was a red flag because she said the fleas. Um, and then she started saying about my cat, targeting the cat. And then she said, oh, I want to get rid of your cat, you know, and something about my cat. And I said, if you get rid of my cat, I'm going to go too. I just looked up to her. I was like, no, you're not fighting on my animals. And then one day I just got up and just left. And yeah. she thought I planned it. I didn't. I just, I've never seen my cat so happy to leave. I completely remember this thing. She jumped in the cat things, went to the toilet, jumped in the cat things, didn't even complain. And they were happy to go. And then, um, lucky I found out where I live now, and I was told I could stay, and it's got a garden and play the sea, and close yeah. to my mum, close to a lot more things, you know, that, you know, people and things. Um, yeah. But um, I, I guess I, I think the biggest thing was animal cruelty, and she sold her dog, she sold our cat that we had together, just out the food, just sold her one day, and she was found straying in Port Talbot. Um, which is really upsetting because I love that cat. And she, she sold her dog just like that. She sold, we had the dog together, she sold him. A month later, I found out she sold that dog as well. As soon as I left, she started selling my furniture, like my, my wife's sofa, which I had, I'd been working. I'd worked to get that sofa too. And she, she, she also stole all my white goods. Um, so, and then obviously the financial abuse, emotional abuse, um, I, well, by the time I stopped eating, I became really thin, and she said to me, oh, you're going to be, this is also the confusion, she's, oh, you're going to be sectioned because you're not eating. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm going to call your mum and tell her you're not eating. And I thought, yeah, you're not really going to call her. She's going to say that, but that's like gaslight me, you know. Um, but I wasn't eating because I was on such edge around her. I felt so anxious around mm. her. I literally couldn't eat anything. And um, then eventually... I left the first time my cat's in foster care, trying to find somewhere to live. Came back the second time, got worse, and then that I just left, and it was too many, too much. And I thought, you know, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> I, I know all about domestic abuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, you've been through a lot, and um, it sounds like you noticed the red flags earlier within the second relationship. Is that right? Yeah, um, yeah, I did. Especially with the, so say I had a car accident, my car got written off. I had some money from it. I think it was, I don't know, some, like quite a, a large sum. And I said, oh, you know, I wanted to buy a decent car. And she made me buy this, my old Honda Jazz that I'm getting rid of now, which is also trigger my car. Reminds me of her because she made me get that car. Um, and then she spent all the rest of my money on takeaways on whatever she wanted. And it was my money. And I'm like, that's my money. So every time I got money, she thought it was hers. And that was, I'd be into thinking, this isn't right, this is your money. But she would um, try and lend money off her family, even get money off her ex-partner. She was just a financial abuser. She was just, yeah. Mm. 
Well, um, obviously you've uh, been in those two relationships, but they've been very different, you know, forms of abuse. I know we haven't really gone into full depth of them, um, but were there any similarities between the two relationships? Um, yeah, both used coercive control, um, both used emotional abuse and gaslighting. As I was saying, um, they gaslight you and they they use like isolation and like financial abuse as well. They both um, both made me work and then took my money. So um, now with like when I have money, I'm quite I want to hold on to. It. <laughs> I don't want to just spend it. I want to keep some of it. Um, and recently got a backdate student loan and I, I have been by myself quite a lot of things like these new headphones and things and, and clothes and I've got a new easy for the winter because <laughs> um, I get really cold with the fibre amount here but it's things that I haven't been able to do and you know it's like a treat like I got craft in clubs once a month and I got the cat packing which is like expensive nice food for them but it helps them as well so it's about treating my cats as well because the cats after I moved I realised the cats had been neglected because all my attention had been on on the baby and her and the four cats. She used to get jealous if if, if I gave the cats attention, and I was like, "It's a cat. It's not, you know, it's it's not a person. It's a cat. You know, you can't mm. get jealous of a cat." It was very strange, but yeah, they're both used. There's definitely both these types of isolation. Like they're both moving me away from my family and friends. Um, even though the second one was still within my area it was still a longer drive for me to see anybody if in an emergency I didn't know anyone in that area apart from her family similar to him like when I moved in that area it was just all his family so I didn't really have anyone to to talk to or just to tell about your relationship problems because they were further away that and they're both I'd say they're both you definitely coercive control and the whole lot changed and all yeah so I, I guess in a way it's like you can see the the behavior it's not in terms of it's not a particular person is it it's a behavior that overcomes these people um because mm-hmm. even listening to some of the things that you've mentioned today you know I've been able to relate to um some of those things and I'm sure many other people will it's almost like everybody that has experienced it is showing a different view but it's of the same type of thing isn't it I'm not really where I did that right but hopefully that makes sense well um, like people say people say they've gone to like some, some school narcissist school or college yeah or yeah it definitely yeah, feels like that <laughs> yeah yeah um, well <laughs> you did touch on um you know treating yourself um, which I am so glad to hear because you definitely deserve that. Um, and that certainly leads on to sort of the next kind of thing I wanted to talk about, which is recovering from your experiences. Now, to me, that sounds that it is a part of your recovery, being able to have that money and, and spend it on the things that you would like to, but not just the, you know, bare necessities, but it's the the other things you know um upgrading things as well is how I sort of imagine it in my head um so what what has helped you get to this point now what steps have you taken for recovery one of the things which 
always from the beginning is of course a beautiful kind of Wednesday <laughs> even if I um, miss it I'm always there somehow and that's helped me like meeting like-minded people um meeting people through online as well like Facebook I've met someone else and she said I could be a speaker next year on an online conference and I was like oh me um because that's something I want to do is speak about my experiences to help other people particularly in the LGBTQ community because it's not really spoken about at mm. all and there's a lot of people who came to me when I said about my ex who said to me I've been abused too and all this and people don't come forward because I think there's shame in it more yeah. than with the, the guy with the guy it's like oh yeah it's a man but it's, it's a woman doing it to another woman it's even more like well no because society thinks it's just men but it's not um so abuse talk obviously um Lisa Romano Help me load her podcast whenever I'm having a, a moment. I go on YouTube and I listen to stuff, and it's helped me to heal. I've had to do a lot of inner childhood healing, which I'm still doing now, and a lot of it has been to cut out any toxic people, any people who are negative, to have high standards of what I expect in a relationship. And if anyone falls beneath that, it's just bye bye. I don't have the time for it. I, I've been talking a bit of a bitch these days. I'm like, what? Life's made me that way. <laughs> um, no, I think it's been assertive, isn't it? And after what you've been through, you need to have that security of being able to control who is around you. And you definitely need that support circle, uh, the right people who are there to cheer you on, like, you know, not bring you down. So I, I think it's good to be blunt at times. <laughs> I definitely am I'm blunt and um, I do have empathy and sympathy but I think as well now because of what I've been through I can see abuse in other areas of life or other yeah. situations whether it's family abuse or and that makes me more aware and then trying to make help those people but they can't see it because they've had years and years of abuse it's quite sad because it happens in families it happens in it happens all over I've been abused by one of my supervisors you know been abused towards me and also what he's done is self-care like I go for walks um um like finding activities I enjoy doing like poetry and my master's in creative writing reading is another thing that helps my mind switch off I've just recently got a new diffuser which is really lovely at night you put it on every time I want to it it helps me sleep even the cats come in the bedroom now when it goes on they're like oh I think it relaxes the cats as well yeah and then but, um pageants I'm doing pageants but I want to do it for the right reasons which is for my platform which is obviously domestic abuse so I'm going to probably start trying to do charity pageants and then seeing where it leads me because it's still my ideas are still kind of I can't really focus fully on them until I finish my master's anyway so. yeah I've got the masters to focus on as well. The masters has been a really good focus to creative writing. And they, I think creative writing as well, being able to write. I've written a lot of PTSD poetry and I'd love to get it published one day to help other people. And I'd even love to eventually, but we're going on to that. No, carry on. <laughs> no, carry on. Um, because oh, that's exactly, um, you know, I, I love that you're, you know, covering, oh. you know, where you are now. So please carry on. Okay. I'd eventually like to do teaching people with PTSD illnesses or PTSD the trauma because I still have nightmares of now the second deck. The first deck is what I've gotten, but it's getting the one of the second one. I still get occasionally the first, but now the second is the, the one. 
Um, but right, having poetry as a way to deal with the trauma and other poetry workshops I've got online or in person or, you know, to help survivors with being able to express themselves creatively. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a great idea. Um, you should definitely do that and um, explore those ideas. And clearly you've got a lot to come with your masters. <laughs> so that will be exciting. Now you do have a group called Ghost Fish. Um, so can you explain what the title of your group means and also who the group is for? Um, the Ghost Fish name is called that because um due to due to um plenty of fish dating website i don't know if you've heard of that yeah so i've yeah. heard of catfish yeah. <laughs> well that's what it's to do with and um after domestic abuse it's hard when you're in a new relationship and people go to you and you might feel like you're being fished by certain people like not catfish but you get really insecure and scared because you don't trust anybody. So I came with ghost fish for that. Um, and it's not just the rest of survivors of as men, it's the family, friends, LGBT work colleagues. Um, and it's quite a big project. It's, you know, I don't just want it to just be just about men because I think it, I've seen recently, it does go into family members, parents and, it's a, a lot of it is to do in a child feeling, which is what I want to also eventually talk about because I help feel my inner child and then everything else kind of makes sense after. And I was like, oh, that's why. It's not <laughs> me. It's, my upbringing is why I kind of went towards these people who were toxic or, you know. No, I mean, that, it sounds um, great. So, how can people find that group, first of all? Um, it's on Facebook if you message me at Erica Sigourney, which is Erica, my Sigourney, because it's a factor. Who's <laughs> talking to um, C R E G O N I G, Sigourney. It's through my Corn- Cornwall, Cornish family link. So links. My family came in from Cornwall to Wales. So I didn't know that. Um, no, I always, yeah, I always like the. It's not a made up. Yeah, I, well, I always wondered, you know, when people use, um, I, sometimes I call them pen names, don't they, um, as well, to, to know why that name has been chosen. So thank you for that. Um, well, I mean, I think you've already covered what you're planning next. I think you've got a lot coming up. Um, yeah, and you've mentioned, got, um, go for it. I've got notes. And yeah, I'm doing my second year in my master's, which is 30 hours a week. And I'm also doing level three introduction <laughs> to dog grooming. So, and I'm hoping to go to some domestic abuse conferences to meet others with similar experience. That sounds fantastic. Well, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing you in real life. Um, I mean, you know, I can see you now, obviously, because we're on Zoom, but meeting somebody from 2D to 3D definitely changes things doesn't it so I'm really looking forward to seeing you in October and um, I just want to say thank you for sharing you know pieces of your your journey that has is really important because um, it's so easy to end up in 
multiple relationships that can be abusive um and it's been really interesting to hear about the red flags and the signs but also I do want to say that you've done amazing in where you've you know where you've come from and to get where you are now it's it's just amazing the the things that you're talking about with recovery that's so important and you're definitely you know on that right path now um so I just want to thank you for letting me be a part of your journey and for sharing it on here as well so thank you for giving up your time today thank you for um, inviting me and we finally got it done Yes, thank you. And um, for anybody listening, if you're wondering about um, how to get in touch with Samantha, what I'm going to do for ease is put the information in the description of this podcast. So all you have to do is click through and you'll be able to find everything there. So no worries on on spelling or anything like that. And um, Samantha's lovely, so she'll be happy waiting to speak with anybody who wants to speak with her. Thank you once again to Samantha and I'm really looking forward to meeting in October. I'm just thinking, when is this episode out? It might already be out um, once we've met. Anyway, you've been listening to me, Jennifer Gilmore, author of Isolation Junction and Clipped Wings. Both are available on Amazon worldwide and you can also check them out at jennifergilmore.com.